0: Well, good morning. I welcome those of you online. I welcome, obviously, those who are here present. Now, this sermon this morning is simple. Who God is is on display. If you're not saved, maybe that's in your future. If you are recently in the faith, this calls for you to reflect on the gift of salvation and a reminder of what you must not take for granted. If you're old and mature in the faith, then it calls for appreciation of the gift and the peace that we have in the presence of the Lord. But the bottom line is that we are are all here to worship. We're all here to worship the God of grace. And so my title is Grace. my, My text is the epistle from Paul to Titus, chapter 2 verses 11 through 15 of course i have it printed in the new king james in your handout together with the sermon outline for your easy reference i urge you to use that that outline to follow makes it easier you know because god is the ultimate judge of my sermons i always look and i ask you to walk with me through psalm 19:14 and so this morning dear lord Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. Amen. You know, what I call the sweetest word in the Bible is a word that is used over 150 times in the New Testament. Yet it is a word that Jesus never used. Now you may think, That is strange, but the reason Jesus never used the word was because he didn't have to. He was a walking definition of that word. This word was not spoken by his lips, but it was seen in his life. And this subject may never have been breached or broached in his lectures, but it was manifested in his living. The word that to me is the sweetest word in the Bible is the word grace. If God was using a dictionary, I believe that inside where the word grace was, you would find a one-word definition, Jesus. I think if God had a favorite word, it would be grace. And Peter calls God in 1 Peter 5.10, the God of all grace. I do not know of a word that is more important to the church than the word grace. You take away grace and the church cannot function, cannot be, it must close its doors. And preachers would be out of a job. Because the only gospel we have to preach is the gospel that the book of Acts twenty twenty four calls the gospel of the grace of God. You know, grace is the heart of the gospel. Without it, the gospel is dead. Grace is the vocabulary of the gospel. Without it, it cannot be articulated. And grace is the music of the gospel. Without it, it is silent. Now, I mean by grace the favor that God freely and fully gives us, even though we do not deserve it. And I want to tell you this morning why, to me, grace is the sweetest word in the Bible. Because, first, in your outline, Consider grace redeems us from the penalty of sin. As we begin with verse 11 in our text, which states, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. We begin by listening and being told very plainly here that it is grace that brings salvation. But now I want to give you some bad news and some worse news and maybe some good news and then the best news. The bad news is, You, We are all sinners and we needed to be saved. The worst news is there is nothing we could have done to save ourselves. The good news is we don't have to do anything to get the salvation. And the best news is that Jesus has done it all for for you and for me. And all we have to do is accept it. That is grace. First consider that it is unconditional grace. You know, there are no strings attached to this grace. There is nothing you can do to earn it. There is no way you can work for it. It's a gift. We should all be familiar with Ephesians 2, 8, which states, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Grace is a concept that is hard for some of us to believe, maybe most of us to believe, because it is much less able to understand it, that God would unilaterally, without preconditions, give us something that we do not deserve. That's certainly not what you're hearing in the world today. What does that old advertisement say? We make money the old-fashioned way. We earn it. Here's another saying that perhaps is closer to the point. There is no such thing as a free lunch. And the business world has a very poor concept of grace. You know, loan companies have what they call a grace period. So if you're late with your payment on a debt, they'll give you a five or a ten day grace period before they give you a notice and tag on a late charge. Listen, that's not grace. That's probation. But grace is the unconditional favor of God to an undeserving sinner Yet, you see, so many people want to spell salvation, D-O, do. There is something we must do to get saved, whether it be join a church, do good things, give to the poor, or whatever. Others want to spell salvation, D-O-N-T, don't. They believe that if you don't do certain things like murder, rob, steal, or lie, then you can be saved. But God's way of spelling salvation is D-O-N-E, done. There are no strings attached. There is no fine print in the contract. You are saved by grace through faith, and that faith is a gift as well. You know, there are so many people who are striving, straining, yearning, and burning, trying to earn the the grace in the favor of God, What all you have to do is just receive it. God has brought grace to us in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ and all we have to do is just step up and receive him. Remember this mathematical formula. The grace of the Savior plus the faith of the sinner equals salvation. Second, consider that it is unmerited grace and the best way to understand and to define grace is to compare it to two other great words in the Bible, that being justice and mercy. Justice is God giving you what you deserve. Mercy is God not giving you what you deserve. Grace is God giving you what you don't deserve. Salvation is totally by grace. It is not rooted in the merit of man, but in the mercy of God. It is not given because of the goodness of man, but because of the grace of God. And Paul goes on to say in Titus 3, verses 5 to 7, Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly, through Jesus Christ, our Savior, that having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Again, the last part. That having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Wow. Let me say something that is going to sound strange to those of you who still think you can work your way to heaven. You cannot work your way to heaven, but you can work your way to hell. Dr. John Rice used to say, if you go to hell, you pay your own way. But if you go to heaven, you go on a free pass. Well, let me illustrate it for you this way. When a man works an eight-hour day and receives for his efforts... Eight hours pay, that is a wage. When he competes with an opponent and beats him in a fair contest and receives a trophy, that is an award. When he receives something in recognition for good work or superior achievement, that is an award. But when a man can earn no wage, can win no prize and deserves no award and yet receives the wage, the prize, and the award anyway, that's grace. Third, consider that it is unmatched grace. I call it unmatched because of what it cost. You say, wait a minute, you just got through saying it was free. It's free. But it wasn't cheap. The grace of God doesn't cost you anything, but it costs God, his dear son, to give to you. You know, the Bible says in Hebrews 2.9, But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, for the suffering of death was crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. Now listen. Listen. God will forgive you freely of your sin. But this is not like a business writing off a bad debt or a governor who extends a pardon to a condemned man. Sin is a debt, a debt that demands payment. God's holiness will not allow him to just write it off. It demands satisfaction. That's where Jesus comes in. There's an old saying, I owed a debt I did could not pay. He paid a debt he did not owe. You say, Why did he do that? Grace. You say that is unbelievable. It is. That's why it's grace. And second, in your online consider that grace releases us from the power of sin. You see, salvation not only commences with grace, it continues in grace. And verse 12 says that grace is teaching us. When a person is saved and becomes a Christian, he is automatically enrolled in God's university of Christian living. Now, God's university is different from other universities. You know, normally you need a B.A. to finish and get out of college. But here, you need a B.A., To get into college, you must be born again. And when you are born again, you go to the first grade of God's School of Christian Living. Now with grace, there is nothing to earn, but there is much to learn. Now there's only one professor in God's university, and his name is Dr. Grace. The first day you're in school, he teaches you two lessons. One, God loves you the way you are. And two, he loves you too much to let you stay that way. From the first day of class right up until the day you reach glory, there are three lessons that Dr. Grace continuously teaches. First lesson, leave the sinful life. Verse 12 states, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts. You know, There are some people who say that grace is a dangerous doctrine. There are some who believe that if you teach a person that he is saved by grace, that goodness and good works have nothing to do with obtaining salvation, then people will get saved and then go off and live in whatever hellacious manner they want. That was happening in the early church. And then Jude said in Jude 4, For certain men have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were marked out for this condemnation, ungodly men who turn the grace of our Lord God into licentiousness and deny the holy, the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Jude is calling anyone who teaches this ungodly, because just the opposite is true. Grace does not give you a license to live like you want to. It gives you the liberty to live as you ought to. Listen. Jesus didn't just die to save us from hell. The Bible says in Matthew 121, You shall call his name Jesus for he will save you from your sins. That means grace changes you. It changes your appetite. You'll hunger and thirst after righteousness. It changes your ambitions. 2 Corinthians 5, 9 states, Therefore we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to Him. Grace changes our attitudes. Colossians 3, 2 states, We set our mind on things above, not on things on the earth. And then grace changes our actions. 1 Corinthians ten thirty one says, Whatever we eat or drink, we do all for the glory of God. You know, there are two things that are true of a person who has experienced the grace of God. First of all, he cannot live like he used to. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says, If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. All things have passed away. All things are become new. Secondly, he wants to live like he ought to. I'll give you an example of how this pans out. Back during the days of the bloody French Revolution in Paris, the mob who broke into the palace and they seized King Louis XVI and his wife Marie Antoinette and had them put to death, rushed back to the palace and seized their son, the prince. And they were going to take him to the guillotine when someone came up with a more hellish idea, and said, no, let's not send him to heaven. Let's send him to hell. Let's turn him over to this vile old woman that I know, and let her teach him how to be a heathen. So they took him down to this vile, wretched woman. She ripped the robes of majesty off of him and put him into the rags that were filthy and dirty. And from the first day, she tried to teach him to swear and to curse, but he would not. She tried to get him to look upon lewd acts and shame, but he would shut his eyes. And then she tried to get him to eat the food that came from a hog pen. That was the last straw. That little prince balled up his little fist, threw back his shoulders, shook that curly head and said, I will not eat trash watch trash, or talk trash. I was born to be the king of France. I'm a child of the king. And I'm going to live like it. That is true of every blood-bought child of God. The second lesson is to live the sanctified life. Verse 12b states... We should live, live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age. You see, grace takes, takes care of every part of your life. Man is a three-part being, body, soul, and spirit. And so we are told here we are to live soberly, righteously, and godly. First, we are to live soberly. The word there means to live in a self-controlled fashion. That deals with the soul. That deals with the inward life. I am not to allow my heart to drink the world's wicked wine. And when it comes to temptation, I am to be a teetotaler, abstaining from the worldly things that soil my soul. Secondly, I am to live righteously. That deals with my body. That, that deals with the outward life. I am to act righteously because I am righteous. Christ lives within me, and therefore I am simply to be outliving the in-living Christ. And then I am to live godly. That deals with my spirit. That deals with the upward life. I am to live like Jesus would live, and I am to live like God would want me to live. You know, it's just as there's always two sides to a coin, there's always two parts to the christian life separation and sanctification you find it all through the bible listen to psalm 37:27 depart from evil that is separation and do good that is sanctification so grace is teaching us to say no to what is wrong and to say yes to what is right Notice again that this grace is to be lived out, verse 12, in this present age. Grace is never out of step, it is never out of style. Grace from God is always sufficient in any age, under any circumstances, to enable you to live the way you ought to live. You know, grace not only prepares you for the sweet by and by, but it purifies you in the nasty now and now. And that's why Jesus died for us. Verse 14 states, Who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people. And the third lesson is to love the servant's life. What is the result of all of this? It makes us, verse 14, zealous for good works. That word zealous literally means boiling or burning out. Grace sets you on fire to do the right thing, to be right and to act right. It sets you on fire to serve the living God. Grace is given not only that you might be saved, but also that you might serve Paul makes that plain in 2 Corinthians 9.8, he states, And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you, always having all sufficiency in things, may have an abundance for every good work. Now, I don't work in order to be saved. But when I'm saved by grace, I will want to work. I have this little poem here that you should consider. I cannot work my soul to save, that work my Lord has done. But I will work like any slave for the love of God's dear Son. Lastly, third in your odd line, consider that grace removes us from the presence of sin. Verse 13 states, Looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. You know, one day, by the grace of God, the Lord Jesus Christ is going to come back and take us away from this world of wickedness. The grace of God is involved in both the first and the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus came the first time to redeem us. He's coming the second time to receive us. He came the first time to give us a new heart. He's coming the second time to give us A new home. He came the first time to take us away from our sin. He's coming the second time to take us away from sin. He came the first time to give us his grace. The second time he's coming to give us his glory. When the Lord Jesus comes back, he's not coming just to take us to something, but to take us from something. How beautiful heaven must be. It is all by the grace of God. Do you know what we're going to be talking to Jesus about for all eternity? Grace. God is taking us to heaven, so as Ephesians 2.7 tells us, so that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. I once said, That if you're bored in the service, you're not saved. If doing and discussing grace in the presence of the Father sounds like not exciting enough, you're not saved. But I'm reminded of a story. But before I start that, I want to ask the praise team if they would take the platform so that they can prepare for a closing song. Amen? Amen. Well, here's the story. His name was John. His mother died when he was six years old. His father was a sailor. So at the age of 11, he became a sailor. But he got into all kinds of wickedness. In fact, he became so mean that his own father disowned him. Finally, he got into the slave trade. He began to buy and sell other men. But his wickedness was so it got him into such trouble that he became a slave of slaves and he himself was subject to being bought and sold. And some people began to witness to John. They gave him a book called The Imitation of Christ. He read it and he began to or God began to work in his heart. Now while on a ship with a bunch of other slaves John was on the deck when a violent storm came up, and before he knew it, a gigantic wave went over the ship, Alk grabbed him and tossed him into the sea. And the next thing John was aware of was when he was being tossed here and about in the deep, briny sea, and he thought for sure he was going to die. They say that in a moment, life passes you, and you know it. Everything passes before you, but not sure Then an incredible thing happened. Another wave came and literally got John under John, lifted him up, and put him right back on the deck of the ship. That's all he needed. When he was on the deck, he asked the Lord Jesus Christ to come into his life, to come into his heart, and to save him. But the story is not over. At the age of 39, John Newton was called into the ministry and became not only a great preacher, but he wrote what may be the all-time favorite hymn in the modern-day church. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. That saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found. Was blind, but now I see. I'm going to ask you to stand, and uh, if you're able... Let your voices and lift them in worship. Amen. your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Hallelujah. You know, grace. It is the sweetest word in the Bible. But I hope you've tasted it again today. Every day is new. Psalm 34, 8 says, O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. The service is over. Let's go out and share the gospel of grace as we mingle in the world. I'll see you next week. Amen.